Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. I remember where I was at. I'm sure many of you do as well. I was, uh, I was in my apartment with my roommate, and we had been watching SportsCenter before we went to class. And SportsCenter broke in and said that something had happened, and so we turned over to the news, and we began watching, and watching this story unfold before us. And I remember the chaos of that day. I remember feeling helpless. I remember not knowing what to do. I remember trying to call friends and family and figure out what was going on. I remember us trying to discover, like, what are we supposed to do now? It was a day that literally changed the world. I don't say that for exaggeration purposes. I think we would all admit that it changed the world. And it changed the world in a lot of ways. Not all of those ways were big. I remember before 9-11, many of you probably remember this as well, if you had friends or family that were flying on an airplane, you could actually walk all the way to their gate to like, when they got off the plane, you could be standing right there. You didn't have to wait until they took the little train and came up the escalators and all. You could be at their gate when they walked off the plane. And I remember that, but 9-11 changed everything about air travel. The words homeland security were not something that many of us knew at all before 9-11. The way that commerce works on a global scale. The way that wars are even waged. It used to be nation against nation, but 9-11 began to change that conversation to where now it's people groups against nations and small groups of people and tribes against nations. It changed the world in so many ways beyond what we could even imagine. They say, historians do, that perhaps the Sunday after that Tuesday morning was the highest attendance in the Christian church in the history of the world. As people between Tuesday and Sunday, as they tried to wrap their minds around what was happening, they turned toward the church. They turned toward God. Even if they weren't people of faith, even if they weren't religious in any stretch, they began to pray or they began to search for meaning or to search for purpose or to search for safety or to search for strength. And so, so many people, millions and millions of people turned to the church in the days after 9-11. It was interesting to even go back and watch some of this footage this last week and to read through some of the news stories and to go back into those magazines and newspapers and read what was happening in that day, not with any historical context to think back on it, what they were writing, what they were thinking, what they were feeling in that day, and how many people, even secular people, were encouraging people to pray. They were encouraging people to turn to God and to things of faith Because in that moment, if you remember how small you felt and how you needed to feel something bigger, you needed to feel like there was somebody, something out there that was bigger than you that could address the problems that we were facing and could speak to the issues that were going on in the world around us. And so again, even secular, non-religious, non-faith people encouraged us to pray. And, And if you're anything like me, When I think about the world today, and I think about the time since 9-11, I got to be honest, some days it doesn't feel like it's getting better. It feels like it's getting worse. Some days it doesn't feel like we're winning. It feels like we're losing. 
There are some days when I think about violence and I think about wars and I think about terrorism and I think about all these, and I'm just not really sure where we are. I think it calls us back to that same place we found ourselves in the days that followed 9-11, back to prayer. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of prayer. We're going to talk about how do you pray when things are going good? How do you pray when things are going bad? How do you pray when you don't know what to pray? We're going to talk about praying prayers that say thank you, praying prayers that say God save us, save them. And today we're going to look at this really simple prayer, help us. And so if you've got a Bible, I want you to flip with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. If you don't have a Bible but you see your neighbor has one nearby, just steal theirs. That's fine. That's funnier than y'all gave it credit for. You've got to hang with me here a little bit. If not, it's going to be up on the screens today, these scriptures that we'll read. Psalm 46 is an interesting psalm. It's very similar to other psalms in the way that it's laid out in the structure of the psalm. There are three stanzas here, three different parts. And depending on what you're reading from, if you're reading from a device of some kind, you're reading from a printed Bible, it may say just above verse 1, it may say something like, to the choir director, to the music director, to the choir master. There are a number of psalms that have those instructions, and what we're really looking for is we're looking for this written piece, this oral tradition that was then recorded to be given to someone that could sing this or recite this to melody so that it would be sung over the people, and then the people could begin to sing along to this psalm. And then there's three stanzas. So imagine if I had written a song and I gave it to Pastor Nick, who was up here a minute ago leading worship. I gave it to him and said, hey, I wrote this song. I believe that it speaks to where we're at as a church, and I want you to sing it. Well, if you think about the songs that we've been singing this morning, then there are those portions in the song that the music continues to play, but no words are spoken, no words are sung. That's the word that we're going to find at the end of each stanza, and we're going to try to respond in those moments. And it's a word, again, depending on your translation that you might see, S-E-L-A-H. It means, it says, Selah or Selah. And it doesn't really have a, a specific Hebrew meaning. There are a lot of different uh, understandings of that word and what it means. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at it as kind of a pause Kind of a reflection, personally, for all of us to take a moment to catch our breath and to respond to what we've just heard. So at the end of each stanza, imagine that a a song is being sung, words are being spoken, and then you, in a musical interlude type of moment, with no music behind us, nothing else playing, you have a moment for you to personally try to express to God what you think you've just heard. So we'll come back to that in just a moment. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1. Let's read the first three verses together, and then we'll stop. This is what it says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. So when you read this, the writer here is saying that God is our refuge, He's our strength, And it says that he's a very present help in trouble or in times of trouble. This could also be translated, if you take it back all the way to the original language, it could also be translated as a, uh, not just a very present help, but a well-proven help. So in times of trouble, you could interpret this to mean that he is very present in our time of trouble, or you could interpret it to mean that he has proven himself to be present in a time of trouble. But he's a refuge. He is a strength to us. 
and he is present and has also proven that he will be present when we are in trouble. And then it just talks about all kinds of stuff. Therefore, the, the, the earth gives way and the mountains moved into the heart of the sea and the waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, I'm not a big mountain guy, but some of you may vacation there. We can see the mountains off in the distance when we're traveling even in our cars here in this part of the community. But what you have to understand is that mountains were not just a geographic kind of feature in that day and time. Mountains were also a part of the defense mechanism of people in that time because they would, they would camp either in a valley in between the mountains so that they could see their enemy coming down toward them or they would set up camp kind of up underneath the base of the mountain to allow the mountains to provide protection for them. So not only are we talking here about this season of time where the earth is falling away, but we also understand that it's saying here when the mountains get up and move into the sea, when you lose your protection, when you lose the source of your strength, when you lose the thing that makes you have peace, you can turn to God who is our refuge and our strength, and he's a very present help and a well-proven help in times of trouble. Now, again, maybe this doesn't just have to deal with the earth. Maybe this doesn't have to deal with some armed enemy coming against you, maybe like we just experienced. But maybe you've experienced your earth, your world kind of shattering. Maybe you've experienced in some way or another something happening that you just, you know you're defenseless against it. You don't know how to fix it. You don't know how to solve it. You're not really sure how to answer to it. You get a call from the doctor and they want you to come in because they found something that they're not really sure about and they want to run more tests. You get a bill in the mail and you, don't, you know you don't have the money to pay it and so you're not really sure what it's going to look like. You, you hear that your boss wants you to come meet with him at the end of the day on Friday and you're not really sure what that meeting's about and are you still going to have a job? You've heard rumors about all this kind of reorganization in the, in the company and you're, not really, and you're just scared and your earth is shattering and your world is falling apart and the mountains seem to be moving to the seas and you've lost your sense of peace. It's in a moment like that. When you can turn to Psalm 46 and you can just cry out. When you don't know anything else to cry out, you can just say, Lord, help me. You don't have to have really eloquent words. You don't have to have a lot of things put together there. You don't have to have a degree in theology or understand every single thing that you read in the Bible. You can just say, God, if you're a refuge, if you're a strength, if you're present in my time of trouble, if you have proven to be there in times of trouble in the past, help me? Would you help me? Would you speak peace into chaos and bring order where there is disorder in my world? In the New Testament, in a couple of places, we see Jesus doing this. We see him on a boat with the disciples. And these disciples were previously fishermen. And they're on this boat. And if you're a fisherman, you've been out on a boat, I'm sure, where maybe a storm kicks up and you're trying to get back to shore. And so it's raining and the winds kick up. And maybe you've been in a situation where you were afraid. But these these fishermen were on this boat, and they were afraid for their lives. They literally thought this storm was going to capsize the boat, and they were going to die. And so they go to find Jesus, and he's asleep in the middle of that storm. And they wake him up, and they say, Don't, aren't, you, aren't you worried that we're going to die in this? And he just gets up, and he walks up, and I don't know if he stumbled up there. When I wake up from a nap, man, I, just, I almost can't make coherent thought come together. I'm not really sure if he did that. But he just steps to the front of the boat, envisioning just kind of lifting his hands, and he says, Peace be still. In that moment, the winds and the waves and the storm died down, and the disciples are astonished, and they say, even the winds and the waves can obey him. 
Well, that's the same kind of thing that he can do in your life and in my life as he speaks into the storms that are just raging around us. And we're not sure if God's even there and we're not sure what's going on around us, but Jesus is there. And he speaks peace into the chaos and he speaks order into the disorder because he is our refuge and our strength and he is present in our time of trouble. And so we get to that truth even when the world is falling away and we come to Selah. Now this moment here is going to be uncomfortable for some of us. All we're going to do is sit and reflect quietly for 30 seconds. Nobody's going to talk, nobody's going to sing, nobody's going to say anything. I'm going to still my voice and be quiet And we're just going to say to God, I need you to be my strength. I need you to be my refuge. I thank you that you're present. Maybe you just cry out, Lord, help me. Maybe you say, God, I need peace. But we're going to have a Selah moment where nobody's talking, and you just have opportunity to pause and reflect. And so I encourage you now, Selah. Silence scares us sometimes, doesn't it? It's awkward. We don't know what we're supposed to do. We're going to do that two more times before we close today. So just prepare your hearts. Maybe try to calm yourself down. Still your soul. And allow God to speak into the chaos that you may be experiencing today. Or maybe you know what it's like and just ask God to be your peace. Verse 4 of Psalm 46 says this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now the first stanza is about God providing peace When we ask for help, and this second stanza is really about God providing his presence. It says that there is a place of habitation. It says that the Lord of hosts is with us. There is this idea that he's not just speaking peace to our storm. He's on the boat with us. He's there in the midst of our storm with us. We're not walking this journey alone. We are not by ourselves. We are not left to our own devices to try to figure out how to calm the storms or how to survive the storms of our lives. And so his presence is with us. His presence is there with us. He makes a habitation and he promises us that he will be with us. So I want to ask you a question today. If you knew today that God was with you, how would it change the way that you lived? Like, I'm not talking about this philosophical, ideological idea that there's a God out there somewhere in the cosmos and that he exists and that we can somehow maybe pray to him and he might hear us and he might respond. No, no, no. If you believed that God was with you right now, how would it change the way that you live? If you believed that God was with you in your home and in your marriage and in your relationship with your children, If you believe that God was with you on your job, if you believe that God walked with you into the doctor's visit, if you believe that God was with you in the car as you commuted to and from work, how would it change the way that you lived? If you really believed 
that God, the Lord of hosts, was with you, how would it change the way that you prayed? Again, not that you're praying to some distant God who can't see or hear or feel, but if you believe that God was with you, you weren't crying out into space somewhere, you were having a conversation with a God that was with you, how would it change the way that you prayed? Because what Psalm 46 says to us is that when we cry out, Lord, help us, he can't, it's not just that he speaks peace, he also gives us his presence. There is a habitation that exists. He promises us that he will be with us. And so today, for 30 seconds, we're going to take a Selah. And here's what I want you to do in this 30 seconds. We're not just praying for peace. I want you to say, God, would you help me realize that you're with me? Would you help me feel your presence? Would you help me just to know that you're here in this place and that when I leave this place, you go with me. You don't just stay here for me to come find you. You go with me when I leave this place. God, in this moment, maybe in a season of chaos in my life, would you reveal to me that you are with me? It's not just that you speak peace. It's also that you promise your presence. Lord, help us. Selah. Let's keep reading from verse 8, Psalm 46. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. My favorite line in that entire stanza is where it says, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. It says that he breaks the bow and shatters the spear and he burns the chariots with fire. That sounds like an incredible movie to watch. But when I read that, I think, well, there's still wars going on. Like, he'll make wars to cease, but... I, If I turn on the news or I open up the news app on my phone, I see that there are people at war right now. And maybe they're not using bow and arrows anymore. Maybe they're not throwing spears. Maybe there's not chariots that are their weapon of choice, but there's still wars going on. So what am I to take from this passage of Scripture? If I understand that He is our peace and He promises us His presence, what is happening here when it says that He makes wars cease? Well, if we continue to read, which we did, it said, "'Be still and know that I am God.'" I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. You have to really understand the tense of what's happening here. And I don't mean tent like we're pitching a tent. I'm talking about the present, past, and future tense that's happening in this passage of Scripture. If you go all the way back to the original language, what you find here is that exactly how this translates in English at the latter part of this, it says, I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. This is a future tense. It's something that is going to happen 
In the plan of God, in the sovereignty of God, there were wars that were taking place in the Old Testament among the children of Israel during this time when some of this was being written. And yet God was not making those wars to cease, yet he promised them his presence in the midst of the wars that they were fighting. In the midst of the battles that they were going against these other nations, he promised that he would bring peace and he would give his presence to them, and yet those wars continued. But there will come a day, according to Scripture, and if you continue to read God's word, you find that the story of God does bring an end to wars. It does bring an end to all of the political systems that man has created. Our bow and arrow attempts to bring order to the chaos of the earth that started with the sin of Adam and Eve and continues even to today. Where through our own devices, we're attempting to figure it out and make it work and find peace and make peace and do all the things that we think are right in our own eyes. We see that God is standing aside and allowing us to do the things that we find right and we think are right. He allows us to do the things that we want to do while still promising peace, still offering hope, and still giving us his presence. He allows those things to take place. But there is coming a day when those things will cease and they will stop. And every nation, every political persuasion, every political system, every man-made form of government will fall away and they will be laid at the feet of Jesus Christ. And it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God is the supreme ruler over all the earth. I believe this. I read God's word. It's what it tells me will take place. And so I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted among the nations, future tense. And yet in this moment, as I live in this chaos, as I find all these things that are troubling going on around me, I'm left to try to figure out, what do I do? Remember what we read in this third stanza which repeated what we read in the second stanza, which repeated what we read in the first stanza. Even while those things take place in the future, here's the present promise. The Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There is a promise to take place in the future. There is a promise of something that will happen down the road. But there is also a present promise of God that he will be with us that he is our fortress and he is our strength and he is our refuge and he is a very present, well-proven help in time of trouble. I don't know if you ever built forts as a kid, but our seven-year-old Tucker, he's our third son, he loves to build forts in our house. Now, fort's probably too strong a word. It's really just pillows and blankets kind of stacked up between furniture. But he calls it a fort because he believes it's strong and he believes it's a hiding place and he believes it's something that will protect him from his two older brothers who are trying to wreak havoc on his life. And so downstairs in our basement, he takes the the chair and the part of the couch and there's a little space between them and he'll drape a, a blanket over top and there's some pillows stacked up on one side and there might be a stool stacked up on the other side that catches the other corner of the blanket and he goes underneath and he thinks he is hidden from the entire world and that we don't know where he's at. In his bedroom, he shares a room with his, uh, the middle son, his older brother Branson, and they have bunk beds, and he, Tucker, sleeps on the bottom bunk. And so what he does almost every night is he builds his, himself a fort on his bottom bunk. He takes pillows and he stacks them up on the front part of the bed, 
and he's kind of surrounded there. He'll stack another pillow kind of down where his feet are at. Some nights he'll take a blanket and he'll throw them up and tuck them under Branson's mattress so that the blanket falls down and he's covered up and he's protected and he thinks nobody can see him and nobody can get to him. Now you and I know because we're not seven, but that fort doesn't protect him from anything. All his mean old brothers have to do is come over and take the blanket off the mattress and it falls away and they can see Tucker. All somebody has to do is inadvertently kick over one of the pillows and the right side of the fort falls down. But in a seven-year-old's mind, it's a fort. Well, today, I don't know if you're 17 or 27 or 47 or 67 and you don't build your fort with pillows and blankets anymore. But if you're honest, you probably use some other things to create a false sense of safety, a false sense of strength, a false sense of hope for your life and seasons of chaos. It's your earning ability in your job. It's the possessions that you have with your house and your cars. It's your family. It's the things that you love about your life. And you say, this is my strength. This is my fort. This is where I run to to find strength. When the world is in chaos around me, And with all the love I can muster toward you this morning, I would say to you that those things are no more than pillows and blankets stacked between couches. If you want real strength, if you want to find a refuge in a season of chaos and disorder, I believe that only to be found in a God who promises us to be our refuge, promises to be our strength, promises to be a very present help and a well-proven help in times of trouble. When the earth is falling away and the mountains are being cast into the sea and the earth seems to be shifting underneath you, God promises us that he can step to the front of the boat and say, peace be still. And he's proven it. He promises us that he can step to the front of the boat because his presence is there with us because he's on the boat with us. And he's proven it. And he promises us that even though we're praying for him to stop the wars and make it all stop today, and that's not in his plan, that we don't have to be afraid because there's coming a day when he will be exalted. He will make all wars to cease. He will set aside every human endeavor to bring order into the chaos of this earth. He will be lifted up. He will be a name that is above every name. And the Lord of hosts is with us. And the God of Jacob is our fortress. And so as we conclude today, I want us to reflect one more moment on this idea of God as our strength. That he speaks, speaks peace into our chaos He gives us his presence when we feel alone and uncertain and we don't know how we're going to fix it all. And he promises us his power and his might. And so as we say law in this last moment before we pray to conclude, I would say all you have to do if you don't know what to pray, if you don't know what to say in this moment, is take these 30 seconds and set aside your pillows and blankets Put away your own fortress and say, God, help me. Let me look to you as strength. Let me look to you as my 
refuge. Let me put aside everything that I'm building up that I think is strong enough and look to you as the source of my strength. God, help us. Selah. God, I thank you that you are our fortress and that we can hide under the shadow of your wings, according to Scripture. That when we feel weak, we can find strength in you. Then when there is chaos, you can say, peace, be still. When we feel alone, we can find your presence. And when we need your power and your might, it's available to us. God, I know we live in a world that is falling apart, it seems. But Lord, I thank you that you told us before we were even born, and you recorded it in your word, that there's a larger story taking place on the earth, and that you are coming soon to redeem this story and to bring ultimate peace to this disorder and to this chaos. And so, God, right now I pray for every person that in their own life and their own circumstances, God, they find that the world seems to be shifting under their feet on their job and in their home and in their finances and their relationships, God. And right now I pray that you would speak peace into those situations, give them a confidence of your presence and God, exhibit your power. God, we thank you for who you are and what you do. And we ask you now to show yourself mighty in our weakness as we cry out to you. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.